Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our public M&A podcast series. My name's Antonia Kirkby and I'm joined today by Robert Moore. Today we're going to talk about some of the themes and developments we've seen in the UK public M&A market in the past 12 months or so and also look ahead to the year ahead and have a think about what, what we might expect. So Bob, it has been an unbelievably busy year on the public M&A front, hasn't it? What Are there any particular themes that you'd pull out? Yeah, thanks, Antonia. I I think there are three trends maybe that I would that I would mention, and and then as you say, also three three themes on on the trends first. I think and this is not particularly news to, to anybody, but the the rise and the continued success of P two P, so public to private bidders and bids, uh, continues um, and does not look to be slowing down. So. Last year, 2021, was the first time um, in living memory that, that public to private bids comprised more than 50% of all takeovers in the UK, going, going to um, 54% of, of the major bids. Uh, as a comparison, uh, a couple of years ago, it was 43%, um, and a couple of years before that, e- e- even less. So that is a continuing trend. The other one um, that is the just continues and, and sees no sign of slowing is the scheme of arrangement as the predominant method of implementing a, a takeover. And I think it's fair to say that the offer is, is effectively dead for large consensual deals. It is, um, it still has a place for smaller deals where, you know, to, you, you can avoid going to court and it is clearly there for hostile and competitive bids, where the ability to um, bring your acceptance level down to, to um, just over 50% uh, is clearly helpful. But otherwise, the scheme of arrangement is, is predominant now. What this means uh, uh, in terms of numbers for schemes of arrangement is that in last year, 80% of, of offers were, were done by scheme. Uh, when you get to the very significant larger deals that that percentage rises as well. So it, it very much is in the ascendancy. And the other point is the size of deals. Last year, there were 21 bids over a billion pounds. That is double the number in 2020. So they are the, the trends we, 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 are, we are seeing. Talking about the, the themes, I think I would pull out three of them. So, so first is this, this P2P activity and we'll talk a little bit more about that the second is competing bidders and the third is um shareholder influence and all of them in a sense are 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 driven by the same the same thing it is a very hot market there are a lot of bidders out there with a lot of money or as everybody always says dry powder that needs to be deployed and what this does is drive more bids bigger bids and more people competing and looking at bids and shareholders on occasion uh, saying that the price is not right. In terms of P2P activity, uh, there are lots to pick out. I'll pick out a few. Clearly the competing offers for Morrisons was probably the, the main takeover story of the year, that ending with a, an auction process auction processes are still relatively rare but but have been much more common in recent years with sky g4s morrisons and also last year 
Morgan Stanley infrastructure and, and, and Carla bidding for Orgean. So the two auction processes there and an agreed auction process that wasn't uh, ultimately um, needed in the Vecatura competing position. In terms of other points to flag around PPE is that they are, as we said, willing to take on larger transactions. So 13 offers over a billion pounds in 2021 and engage in competitive situations. The Morrisons and Orgeen just being a, a couple of examples of that. Also the identity of these bidders, it is no longer the pure private equity bidders that are involved. It is much wider and um, the, the bid for signature aviation is a, is a good demonstration of this with, with lots of infra and private equity and indeed family offices bidding and then coming together in a consortium to bid for that. What else to say, competing bids and competitive situations. So last year, there were 23% of all bids were competitive. Again, in two years before that, it was around 14%. And the widely held perception that some um, private equity and, and uh, those sort of bidders are not willing to get involved in competitive situations because of the costs, risk, and also the potential embarrassment of a failed deal. That clearly is, is no longer true. The, the view very often is that public bids offer greater certainty and transparency than private auctions. And actually, given the amount of money and the pressure to deploy it on investors, private equity bidders seem more likely to be criticized for not participating and uh, rather than participating and indeed losing. And then I guess finally, just, just on that competitive bid situation, as I said, the, if, if it can't be resolved, these, these end in auction processes. Again, many people believe an auction process is there to deliver a winner in a traditional sense. It doesn't necessarily do that. And the take of the panel's own rules don't actually uh, do that. The purpose for the panel is simply to ensure that everybody's final price is established so that shareholders have some comparison. And indeed, under the, the panel, the code's own auction rules, there is no requirement for one bidder to be higher than, than the other. In reality, the processes that, that are done are, are variances on the rules with people putting their own rules in place. And these very often require that one bidder can only bid in even increments and the other in odd to, to effectively not necessarily deliver a winner, but deliver a higher bidder. I alluded to shareholder influence on public M&A. This has been a trend for several years that, that we have, have looked at with a greater um, emphasis on activism and the concept of art funds and, and arbitrage coming, coming in and bumpetrage as well. This has been no different in, in the UK last year, but there have been a couple of very interesting trends, including very recently here. And so I was gonna say, and, and Antonio, do you want to just talk about your thoughts on, on, on what we've seen from shareholder influence perspective? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Paul. Um, you're right. We've talked about this uh, on a couple of previous episodes. And then you and I discussed last summer, I think it was, when the Ramsey bid for SPY was voted down by shareholders. And we said at the time how unusual it was. And now it's happened again. So this week we've seen the bid for Playtech by Australian bidder um, Aristocrat voted down. 
And it wasn't particularly close, given they needed to have 75% in value of the votes in favour. I think they were at something like 56%. So quite quite an interesting intervention by shareholders and an interesting announcement by the target ahead of, ahead of the scheme meeting, clearly realising they didn't have sufficient proxies for the vote to go through, but said they were already discussing other MNA options. So that's a really interesting situation and reflective of, as you say, situations where shareholders aren't just following a board's recommendation blindly. So we had Spire last summer, Playtech this year. We've seen other shareholders try and intervene and, and complain about offers. We've seen in previous years, we've seen um, shareholders challenging schemes at the court sanction hearing and, and challenging on the basis of disclosure. None so far successful, but I'm sure that will be a tactic that, that they continue to deploy. And we've also seen shareholders pushing higher prices, so the bumper charge concept. Uh, so we've seen that on Cas Minerals, Clinogen. And what's happened on those situations is, is the bidder is trying to use tactics to, to shut that conversation down. So typically we see a offer increase normally, but also they say that's the final price. And that the position that leaves the shareholders in, they either accept that offer or they have to accept the deal might not go through at all. And so that comes down, you know, that sort of it puts the onus back on the shareholders to decide which and what they actually want to achieve by sort of agitating on the bid. But on the flip side of that, that's a kind of the shareholders trying to sort of perhaps being a bit more obstructive in a situation. But we've also seen them encouraging and supporting the target board. So on a transaction last year, there was an unsolicited possible offer for Tavistock. And the, the, the potential bidder secured some uh, irrevocables and letters of intent in, in support of its proposal. But the target board then actually got letters of intent over 51% of the target shares, saying that they, those shareholders wouldn't accept the offer. So an interesting technique and effective clearly in that case. And we've seen shareholders sort of encouraging um, sort of bids as usual. We've seen a shareholder break fee on Volga Gas on the Orgene which you mentioned, a shareholder agreed to offer the losing bidder in the auction process a reimbursement fee. So it's all sort of illustrative of a, a trend which we have been talking about for a time, but continues just to move up and up the agenda, is that you need to factor into bid considerations what your shareholders might do and ideally win them over in advance, because they certainly don't meekly follow recommendations in perhaps the way that people used to do. Um, so that, I think, rounds up sort of what we saw last year. Looking to the year ahead, Bob, do you think we're looking for more of the same? Do you think we're going to see the same levels of activity? What are your views? Yeah, I think based on the, the number of uh, instructions talking to, you know, generally around city practitioners that people are sitting on at the moment, and the fact that, you know, many of the reasons why the, the UK takeover market has been busy for the last couple of years, being the availability still of cheap debt, the fact that there is a perception that the UK is still underpriced, both on a uh, exchange rate and, and generally, means that I think we, we're still, we are going to see a continuance of bids and of um, private equity-led bids. And again, I think the the pressures that will come on target boards to uh, work out what is an appropriate premium in a post-COVID world will, will will be there. But I think the need for 
private capital to deploy their resources and to do deals should see a still a, a steady stream of, of transactions as similar, if not necessarily the same as in 2021. Thanks, Bob. And, and I think what's interesting is we have recently published our 2022 global M&A report, so drawing on all our offices around the world. And whilst we today have been talking about the UK market, I think we see similar themes in other large public M&A developed markets like Australia, and they're saying exactly the same. Um, and it's, it's just interesting that it's kind of it's not just a purely UK thing. So you can read more about that in our M&A report, which is on our website Herbert Smith Freehills and we talk about it we do we have a section on public M&A we also focus on other sort of themes that are influencing M&A globally both public and private transactions so FDI which we've talked about in previous transactions foreign direct investment controls ESG which are is influencing public M&A as well as private M&A and we've also got regional insights from our offices around the world and some sectoral insights in there on sort of for example tech and pharma M&A so if you're interested in a sort of a different global perspective, perhaps worth going to have a look on our website for that. But thank you today for joining me, Bob, and thank you to our listeners too. We'd welcome any feedback you have on this or any other world podcasts and any themes you'd like discussed in future episodes. And otherwise, we look forward to you joining us on our next one. Thanks very much.